Our scripture reading this morning comes from John's Gospel. I'd like to invite you to turn there with me. John's Gospel, chapter 3, and we will um, cover this morning from verse 22 down through the end of the chapter. We will break our series in John for the month of March for missions emphasis, at least four weeks of it, and then we'll resume our series in John on that fifth Sunday in March with chapter four having to do with the woman at the well in Sychar. But let me begin reading to you. This is a little more lengthy than usual, but we're going to read how John explains what will be the last words of John the Baptist, not as far as the gospel record, but as far as what John records of it. Beginning reading in verse 22, And this Jesus and his disciples, after this Jesus and his disciples, went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Ainon near Salim, because water was plentiful there. And the people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Verse 30, He must increase But I must decrease. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what has been seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, once more we ask for your help in understanding your word. May this narrative written by John the Apostle about John the Baptist, be understood. And Lord, may we be able to see how we are to obey. May we understand what this is. To be happy to be the servant of someone else. Lord, we thank you and ask again for your grace to be obedient to your word. In your name, amen. Well, I mentioned already the last words 
that John records of John the Baptist. That is John the Apostle, Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel according to John. He's writing about John the Baptist. We get those two confused sometimes. But in other Gospels, we'll see more of how he's arrested. John is careful to tell us that this happened before his arrest. Then what happens after his arrest and his execution? And there's still much to learn through the Gospels about the ministry of John the Baptist. But what is said here is quite exceptional. And it has to do with the idea of greatness. And not greatness as we would define it, but greatness as is judged by Christ himself. And I'm not so sure how long it takes to be a Christian before you begin to think, now what is it that God has in store for me? What are his plans for my life? How should I spend my time and my money? And I think the older we get, the, and the less time we realize we have, we start thinking in terms of making our life count. Uh, in, in a way that you, you just don't look at life when you're younger. But being this individualistic culture we live in, I, and the reason I say this is because I think getting to that question of, of what is greatness, what would the Lord have me do to be a great man or a great woman, I think it would probably be quite specifically tailored to our own uh, idea of ourself or our interest. That's just the way we look at this world. I'm different than you. You're different than me. Everyone is different from anyone else. But we're going to learn in this passage today that that's not the way this works. God has one definition of greatness for humanity. And John seems to be the, the example held up to show us what that looks like. Now we'd have to go to another gospel. I actually one or two to see how this fits. If you want to write down in your notes, Luke seven twenty eight. We covered this when we were uh, learning about John in the first pass in, in chapter 1. But this is where Jesus says, I tell you, this is Luke 7, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Now, everybody on the planet was born of a woman. So that includes everybody. And including everybody, Jesus says John is the greatest. And then he gives us a clue as to where that greatness comes from. Why he would receive such a commendation by none other than the Son of God. That's the rest of the verse. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now here's what I used to think that meant. And the reason why I say used to think is because I don't think that anymore. And I don't know why I used to think it. Maybe it was just a first pass when I heard this as a much younger boy. That it had something to do with the difference between the kingdom and the not kingdom. And that John the Baptist was not living in the kingdom at that point. Jesus is preaching about the kingdom. But later that the kingdom will will be and everybody in the kingdom at least the 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 smallest person accounted for the 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 lowest rung on that ladder of of folks in the kingdom that would be better than John because it the kingdom's so much better than the world that John lives in 
That's not what it means. What Jesus is saying is, yet the one who is least, by virtue of making sure everybody else is first, that's the greatest. Because it was Jesus who said, so the last will be first and the first will be last, right? It was Paul who would describe, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who gave up the glories of heaven to become a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Humbled himself and became obedient to the cross. have been talking in terms of this as we've been moving through, this idea of, of humility. And that's exactly what is being said here. Now, the way the story is set, that there is a setting, we see that in the first couple of verses of this paragraph, after this, after what? Well, Jesus talking with Nicodemus. After that, he and his disciples went into Judea, not Galilee, where a lot of his ministry was, but in Judea. John is specific to tell us this, that the other gospel writers do not. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. We'll learn later that his men were baptizing, not specifically Jesus. But that's the setting. And then what we see is this uh, territorial controversy between some of John's men about this Jesus who's baptizing and the fact that they don't like the way that sounds or smells. It doesn't seem right to them. So you, you've got a, a conflict uh, that John is going to explain away. And he does so by arguing four points. And there's four different things he says in as many verses as to the reason why at the end he gives us this magnificent statement that John the Baptist is known for. He must increase. I must decrease. And that seems to be the hinge between these, these paragraphs. And then in the, the last several verses, uh, John goes on to explain to his, his men that are listening, that are there because they're upset that Jesus is getting all the attention. And he explains at least four reasons why Jesus should increase and he should decrease. So if you're counting, that's eight points, right? Sometimes we have a pointless message. Well, we got a lot of points today. But they, they'll go by quickly, some of them a lot quicker than others. But let's just follow the narrative as, as John the Apostle records what took place with John the Baptist and his men that came by. So it begins with this controversy over territory. And really, if you um, want to just boil down the, the basic uh, instincts of a human being, usually it's best to look at them when they're small, right? We could go down the hallway to children's church and probably watch this play out. But territorial conflicts, we'd like to say we grow out of that type of childishness, but we don't. And it's really no different than listening to a kid say, get off, it's my turn. It's my turn on the swing, it's my turn on the slide, it's my turn on the bicycle. I hear this coming through the garage door. And we don't have exactly four of everything. And depending on if it's we're all going to ride bikes or the scooters or the skateboards or the uh, ripsticks. I think that accounts for just about everything. 
But there's not a perfect number of each. So somebody gets left out, usually, if they decide it's all going to be one thing. Now, if it's the scooters, they'll, they'll chase down the bikes and pull them over, like police. Uh, or something there in the neighborhood. But it's all fine and dandy until someone decides that they're not getting what they think they ought to be getting, right? So you get off, it's my turn, I'm going to get on. That's how we look at it. And this is what John is going to absolutely obliterate by the end of what he has to say to these men. Because if you think about it, you had John very successfully preaching and teaching repentance out in the desert. Droves were coming out there until, of course, he introduces the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world and basically tells his disciples, stop following me and start following Jesus, which they did. And now Jesus is baptizing. His men are, and some of John's men who stayed are not happy with that. As if to say, John, this was your thing. And then you, you gave this other man a start. He doesn't even mention him. You know, him that was with you in the wilderness. Well, now they're all going to him. His group is bigger. As if to look at it, well, the church split. Now that church has got more people than this church does. And they're quite upset about it. So John responds, John the Baptist, that is, in verse 27. And uh, let's look at what he says. John answered, A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. As if to say... Whatever this man's name is, I'm sure they had a relationship and it likely went on for some time. Listen, he couldn't have anything unless it was given to him by heaven. I don't have anything that wasn't given to me by heaven. It almost sounds like what James says in his short letter. All good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness or shadow of of turning he's consistent with the way he gives us things even if you want to go to that parable of the uh, we like to call it of the unjust wages oh they were just all right because it was the at the discretion of the man who was paying these workers what they got mad about was that some came at a certain time of day and they got a certain wage. And some came later in the day and they got a certain wage. And some came at the end of the day and they got a certain wage. And they found out it's all the same wage. And the owner says, so is it that you think I'm unfair or you begrudge my kindness? Can't I give whoever I want to give what I have? Isn't that within my rights to be able to do that? Who are you to call me unfair? This is mine. So John is saying all of this comes from the Lord. And of course he's fair with it. No one is getting shortchanged. And if this really is the gospel and repentance, then we're all on the same side. So John sets the playing floor level. This is one of those situations where you go to, to your, your leader, uh, man you've learned from, you've taken up an offense for him only to find out that that offense you've taken up for him is errant. And anyone who's been Christian long enough can get torqued over something. They think if they go to the Lord, the Lord will straighten it all out for them. Only to find out, that's my business, not your business. You be faithful, and I'll worry about them. 
But the first is, it all comes from heaven. If you're making notes this morning, that's his first argument. Then his second argument is in the next verse, where he reminds them, I am not the Christ, I serve the Christ. As if to say, we've been through this already. We see it a couple of times there in chapter 1. And the point you may, if you like making notes under your notes, it's been said before that it is impossible to make Jesus look good when you're trying to make yourself look good. Pastors can't pull that off. If, if the point of the sermon is to make themselves look clever by choice of words or by the, the, the amazing alliteration of the points or, or the, the, the resounding applause or laughter, they're jokes. God's not getting much credit here. It, it's one or it's the other. And, and this is leading up to what John is going to say. This is his show. This is not my show. So I am not the Christ. I serve the Christ. Uh, there in 28, he colors it up a bit. You yourselves bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but have been sent before him. To say, my purpose was to go before him. I have a job. It was given to me by God, but it's my job, not his job. And when he declared he is the Christ, I'm not the Christ, then that frees all of us from ever having to worry about being anyone's Savior, including ourselves. We don't need to worry about that. We serve the Christ. Then number three, that's verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. That's the longer verse there in that paragraph. And it uh, is mostly illustration, describing what he'd said in verse 28. That if, if I'm anything here, I'm the best man. And the Lord describes him as the greatest. But he's describing Jesus as the groom. And he's describing his church as the bride And we're going to see this later in Revelation that John is going to be writing. John, the author of this. All these themes really tie in as we move forward. But think of the picture that he's describing there. That he's happy and joyful to to be part of of a ceremony where the bride and the groom are getting most of the attention. Especially the groom. In this case, as our redeemer. Now, I think we could use this uh, in what we understand from weddings and so forth. Uh, I had a best man. That was my brother. Some of you may have met him at the Upward game Saturday. Uh, My brother-in-law's best man was his daddy, um, which kind of messes with the, the picture here. But there's one thing the best man should never, ever, ever, ever do. What is that? Run off with the bride. <laughs> right? I mean, the, the, the best man has a job, but that's not one of them. Uh, that's what was so bad about the story of Samson when he went off and tore up some things 
the father of the bride gave the bride to the best man. And then it was really on after that. But think about this. Is, is there something we could learn from it? If in this situation you've got, this is not a, a, a church we're looking at, but this is the ministry of preached repentance, baptism, and you've got some that are players in this upset at where the attention is being shifted. The attention, John is saying, is going to the groom. But in a church setting where the bride is the church and where Jesus is the groom and where certain people in the church are in positions of delegated authority, who probably could be tempted most to alienate the affections of the bride known as the church? The leadership. Look at me. Look what we've built. Listen to what I say. With clever, charming, manipulative, brainwashing. I'm just making it sound horrible. But to pull the attention away from the groom, which is Christ, and affix that attention, the church's attention, the bride's attention on anything else, would be awful. John, I think, has them by the short hair here. The third point is the pleasure's mine to serve the bridegroom. So it all comes from heaven. I'm not the Christ, I serve the Christ. The pleasure's mine to serve. And then, fourthly, he must increase, I must decrease. You could call this inverse exaltation. We like to exalt ourselves, you know, increase ourselves. This is the opposite of that. This is decreasing ourselves in order to increase someone else. It's like a lever with a fulcrum. You push down on one end, the other end goes up. Push down on that end, the opposite end goes up. You can only have one end up and the other end is down. And if that end is down, the other end is up. This here is the true definition of greatness. And it is spelled humility. He must increase. I must decrease. So that's, that's the tipping point here of this whole passage. We'll get back to that in a minute. But let's see how he describes why. Why does John think that this is the only way to position oneself in the kingdom? Is to decrease while Christ increases. Why must he increase? Well... Verses 31 and 32, because of where he comes from. Look at those verses again. He bears witness to what has been seen and heard. Excuse me, that's verse 32, look at 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He says that twice. Then verse 32 Bears witness to what he has said and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. So what do we make of this? Because of where he comes from. Why is that important to why he must increase and John must decrease? Well, are you proud of where you came from? Now, I've, I've mentioned before when 
when I got here, I'd been held hostage in Virginia for 32 years. <laughs> Carolina born and glad and proud to be back. I've never seen anyone in Virginia wearing one of those shirts with the silhouette of the state and says home and it's Virginia shaped. The only ones I see are Carolina shaped home t-shirts. Y'all are proud of it. Uh, and just to be part of where I think I came from feels right. And uh, sometimes we get bent out of shape with others who disagree as to where they came from was better or the type of uh, food that they eat or uh, whether or not they like Coke as opposed to Pepsi, which came from here, or Cheerwine, better than that stuff that burns your nostrils out they'd have in South Carolina. What is that? That uh, Blenheim ginger ale. That stuff, the stuff for the red cap will hurt you. <laughs> Only if someone makes you laugh and it, well, never mind. <laughs> Speak from experience. But where you came from, what John is saying here, he only gives you two categories. You either come from heaven or you come from earth. And everybody on earth, no matter where they came from on earth, the one who came from heaven trumps all of that. They've been through this in discussion with Nicodemus. Look, you think you know certain things. We know what we know. Because anything having to do with heaven, a first account witness from heaven, bringing that truth down to earth, then that's as pure heavenly truth as you could find. When he says because of where he comes from, he comes from heaven. Of course he has authority unlike anyone else on this planet. That's why he must increase. He's better than us. He's our creator. Number two, because of his authoritative witness. Again, right out of the same arguments between Jesus and Nicodemus. Look at verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Shut down the discussion with Nicodemus. And if you recall, we discussed then the importance of whom you listen to. Who are you taking your cues from? I mean, if you just had an electronic record of every minute you spent last week, uh, some of you, Fox News probably had most of your attention. Others of you, maybe some other network. Maybe it was YouTube. Maybe it was the music you listened to. All of that is speaking into your brain, which will make an assessment on what is value and what's not. And if the Word of God does not have an influence in your life, and I would say of greatest priority, your, your decision-making is going to be affected and to the negative. That's why he must increase. Which is increasing here? Uh, your, your affection for this place you live or from the testimony of the one who left heaven in order to save your soul? What about the idea of his authoritative witness? Is that increasing in your life or is it decreasing just by... The simple average of the amount of time you spend in it. Then number three, because of what has been given to him. 
That's in verse 35. The father loves his son and has given all things into his hand. And when it says hand here, what does that mean? Into his control. Possession. And what does he own? All of it. Describes it elsewhere as the world being his footstool. He's the one that paid for it. Remember in Revelation, there'll be weeping. No one's qualified to open the seals and judge the world except for the Lamb of God. He's the one who owns the title deed to the entire universe. That means he should increase in our lives, not decrease. What have you given him? Or do you live under the delusion that certain things, including your own ideas, prerogatives, feelings, are yours? They are his. And then number four, because of the consequences... And this is where John uh, begins to lower the boom. We don't like these words. We wish it were different, especially in our evangelistic efforts. But this is the hard truth of what was brought down from heaven. Look at verse 36. Whoever, there's that word again, anybody, doesn't matter who you are. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Does that mean he will get it? Now that's a present possession. Do you believe? You have eternal life. What's the converse? Whoever does not obey. And don't stumble over that word obey. The word belief and obedience are tied together. If you don't believe God, you don't obey Him. And if you don't obey Him, you don't believe Him. They're inextricably connected. Whoever does not obey, does not believe, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Since when? Since Genesis. When God promised, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. So the lesson is humility. John the Baptist is the example. The lesson began... In controversy, John settles that discussion and then gives reasons why he must increase, I must decrease. And we've got to think of it in terms of that lever. Because so many of us might just look at it that way. I'm I'm happy to have you in my life, Jesus, but there are times where I, I, I need to be up on the top, which is going to require that you be at the bottom. Now, it's Sunday, so everybody made sure that if, you know, this is a seesaw or something, all right, Jesus, you're up today. I'll be down here, you know. But I got some things later this week. We're going to have to take turns. You know, it's my turn to go up. You get to go down. And then you get into trouble. Oh, okay, well, you go up. I'll, I'll be down here. Somebody's going to find out what happened. You think of it that way, it can be wondrously clear in your mind really who is in charge who is increasing and who is decreasing who believes and who doesn't believe remember what happened at the end of chapter 2 where we are reading about a group of people who say they believe and Jesus is not buying it 
uh, scary type of a verse. And then we learned from the description of what happened with Nicodemus that it really has everything to do with what you love as opposed to what you hate. All of these things are coming in to make a very clear picture. And what we're faced with, with Scripture here, is to analyze and see what it is and where we are. This is where it could be from one end of the spectrum to the other. The person who's been here the longest, maybe the most faithful, in whose eyes and according to whose terms. Or on the other end, you've got a younger person who might be actually better acquainted with what's good for them than what's good for the Lord. Listen, I've got to get my college paid for. I can't ditch church now. That's why I'm still here. My parents are paying for that, right? So there's certain things they need to see and certain things they need to hear. But really, it's not that big a deal in my life. It's great. I enjoy it. It's nice. And I hope everybody on the planet thinks the same. But just a simple child's drawing of a seesaw would show. There's no increasing as opposed to decreasing here. Which says everything about whether or not that belief is legitimate. This is a hard thing to look at. And John the Baptist is held up as the example of being happy in his life to just declare that message. Now, the, the world we live in will tell you it's the opposite. You will be most happy when you are absolutely first in everything. First is the amount of money. First is in the whatever it is that, that you like to do. You're the fastest if it's running. Uh, you just fill in all the blanks. And, and you know, usually, usually the, the things that we're not into really don't bother us if somebody else is better at them than us, right? But if it's something in our own field, boy, we really get into that idea. No, 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 no. That, this is my turn now. I think I've earned this. And then there's that competition, right? I particularly uh, think it's rough for mothers with children because every mother with children, you're all in the same job. <laughs> you're all inevitably, especially with things like Facebook, looking at how each other do their thing. And Facebook always makes it look better on the other side, right? But who are we in competition with as far as, the, as far as the Great Commission? Back to asking the question in the beginning. What, what is it that the Lord would want out of me in my time here on this earth? And what He's telling you, same thing He told John. Be the least. Make sure that the one message that will save the world gets all the glory first. Be happy to be the best man. Be happy... Uh, to take a line out of uh, John Piper's writings. The Lord is most glorified when you are most satisfied in Him. He's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. That's said from someone who seeks to decrease as He increases. So next time... John's going to switch this narrative over into how he deals one-on-one -on -one with one of the least of these, a woman at a well in the middle of the day because she's ashamed to be seen in public. But that'll be next month at the end of 
March. We've got missions to talk about between now and then. And boy, to put yourself in the position of a missionary, these things here, that sounds like it matches, doesn't it? The idea of spending your life teaching others, serving others, spending your time on others. Why? To make much of Christ. We praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for what you've given to us in your word. Lord, press upon us the importance of humility. Lord, if you have our heart where you need it, it's amazing what you can do through it. That's the way it was put at some point. The world is yet to see what can be done through someone completely yielded to the Lord. Lord, may we yield to you. May we decrease that you may, in our lives and in the eyes of others, increase. That's our prayer. We ask in your name. Amen. Thank you, David. Uh, An exciting morning for Wake Chapel Church. Um, Pastor, during his opening prayer and also during his sermon, mentioned that Jesus Christ gave up the glories of heaven. And I would like to elaborate on that, not with my feeble words, but with the words of a song written by Rusty Goodman. And I want to use this as our prayer this morning. When I think of how he came so far from glory, came to dwell among the lowly, such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace, on Mount Calvary, take my place. Then I ask myself this question, who am I? Who am I that the king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray? Not my will, thine, Lord. The answer I may never know. Why he ever loved me so. But to an old rugged cross he would go. For who am I? When I'm reminded of his words, I'll leave you never. If you'll be true, I'll give to you life forever. Oh, I wonder what I could have done to deserve God's only Son, to fight my battles until they're won. For who am I? Who am I that the King would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will, thine, Lord? The answer I may never know why he ever loved me so, but to an old rugged cross he would go, for who am I? Almighty God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our mission, Trench World Radio. For the 
missionaries that work with this so faithfully, missionaries like Scott and Naren, we're so thankful. And again, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.